now, hope always. Our gospel lesson comes from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 35 through 43. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we come to a time of children's message, I was hoping you all would help me a little bit. I was thinking about times that you had to do what's called call and response. So one person says something and the other person seems to know how to respond. You have to remember for this or else I'll tell you, for a very short amount of time, I taught second grade. Very short amount of time. So when I was teaching second grade, and we wanted to get the children's attention, we would say this, one, two, eyes on me. And you know what the kids would say back to us? You'll tell me in a minute if this ever happened to anyone in this classroom, anyone who taught. The kids would say back to us, one, two, eyes on you. And the kids would be quiet in a moment. Did this ever happen in your classroom? Something like this? Yeah, yeah I thought so. I thought this might have happened. OK. Teachers do all this kind of stuff. And sometimes in my classroom, we would have claps. So like if the teacher did. The class would do. It's like you all know how this goes. Absolutely, there was a call and a response. Let's see if you know this one. If somebody says, see you later, alligator, that's not just teachers who do this, right? We do this kind of a thing. It's like we start out the first part, and we seem to know how the second part will go. I couldn't leave this one out because of what's coming up this week for those of you who may be into Star Wars. If somebody says, may the force be with you, Sometimes people will say, and also with you? I don't know, maybe. But we know in church, we're getting ready to say, the Lord be with you 
but we do know for sure that Jesus said to the disciples, he offered this blessing, peace be with you. And we say it today when we pass the peace. We haven't done an awful lot of piecing, re passing of the peace, piecing, passing of the peace. <laughs> I just made a whole new verb. <laughs> we haven't done a lot of it recently. But when we've passed the peace, we've said, peace be with you. Right. We know how the response goes. And we started teaching when people could walk, right? Our, when our children could walk, we started teaching them what to say, whether or not they shook hands or they gave high fives or fist bumps or maybe hugs, whatever they were comfortable with. Because we were offering blessings. This is what Jesus is offering to the disciples. So when we say, peace be with you, and respond, we're offering each other a blessing. A blessing that says, may all of that which is not yet fully whole in your life, may that be complete. The places in which you know brokenness, where you're not really feeling your full self, may you feel whole. So I offer you this blessing, friend. Peace be with you. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for peace. The kind you give us and what we offer to others. Help us to share your peace. Amen. Thanks for helping me with the call and the response part. It's nothing if we don't get a response. So thank you for helping me. We humans are a bit of a funny bunch. Once we've become convinced of something, it takes an awful lot for us to see a different perspective. Even if our point of view doesn't include all the information. In 1943, Thomas Watson, president of IBM, presented an innovative business plan to shareholders for the production of computers. And he said to have conjectured, I think there's a world market for about five computers, 1943. IBM, this here is the 701 electronic data processing machine, which was later introduced 10 years later, that was the time frame for production, and it was designed for scientific calculations. You could rent it, if you wanted, for somewhere between $12,000 to $18,000 a month. Can you imagine? <laughs> the company, ended up with about 18 early adapters. Today, about 80% of the whole world, not just America, 80% of the whole world 
has a computer in their home. And there's about two billion computers in the world, give or take a few. These numbers are from about two years ago. So I'm guessing those numbers have gone up substantially <laughs> because we depend on computers to connect with work and family and it's part of our leisure as well, especially in these unusual times. In 1946, Daryl Zanuck, that was a studio executive at 20th Century Fox, proclaimed that television wouldn't hold on to any market after about six months. People are gonna get tired of staring at that plywood box. It would be too much night after night, he said. Little could he imagine even though he'd produced the jazz singer, the gentleman, A Gentleman's Agreement, he was the producer of A King and I. He couldn't imagine that today, the average American, did you know this, watches about four and a half hours of television a day. Now the plywood box, for most of us, has turned into a flat screen, but people didn't tire of it <laughs> in the way that he imagined. And gotta give you one more. Bill Gates, then CEO of Microsoft, spoke to the World Economic Forum, outlining a three-layer protocol and plan to rid the world of spam. Wouldn't that have been nice? In 2004, no unwanted or unwarranted solicitations and email, filling up your inbox by 2006. It didn't exactly come together. <laughs> we can attest to that. We get plenty of it. They were all highly qualified and educated in their fields and made seemingly reasonable predictions at the time. But in every case, something changed. After the death of Jesus, the disciples had been terrified. They never could have imagined when Jesus was preaching and teaching, healing and sharing God's love, that he would have been executed. Jesus himself, even though he said, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Prophecy that I doubt the disciples were sure of what to do with or how to understand. We're on our fourth week of hearing about these resurrection appearances. Our fourth word of what Jesus said after he rose. The fourth week of Easter. And yet we still find every time the disciples are surprised. Wouldn't we have been even fearful of encountering and experiencing the risen Christ? If the women who saw the risen Christ on the early morning were the innovators, stick with me for a minute, of the resurrection, the apostles were the early adopters, perhaps. Jesus speaking as he had been with Cleopas and the other ones when the disciples found themselves startled, as Jenny read for us. It was as if they thought they had seen a ghost.
In fact, they were almost spooked, turned inside out. Jesus offered his hands and his feet. He even ate some fish so they would know he was flesh and bones, anything to give them peace. So I wanted to take a look with you at that word peace. In Hebrew, it's the word shalom. Yeah. And in Greek, it's erete. It's a word that means wholeness or completeness. It often refers to a stone that is without any cracks or a wall that has no missing bricks, no gaps. We'd be hard-pressed to find one like that. It means something that is complex, and has lots of parts. Biblically, we're often given example of those who have tents that are in shalom because when they count their flocks, there are no animals missing. When we wish one another shalom, like you and I, we're wishing peace upon one another, we are wishing one another wholeness. When we ask one another how we are, we do with peace. We're also saying, when we have all of our marbles, occasionally we use that phrase, I'm missing one of my marbles. It's wishing we have all of our marbles. You'll forgive me there. Shalom reminds us that life is complex and has all the missing, moving parts. When any one of these breaks down is missing and needs to be restored, we shalom it. Bringing shalom is the act of making something complete or restoring. Solomon gets the distinction of bringing shalom to the unfinished temple by completing it. If your animal, in biblical days, gets out and wreaks havoc, you bring shalom by giving a complete repayment. You take what is missing and restore shalom or wholeness. It's the same principle in relationships. Reconciliation brings shalom. It's not just when rival kingdoms stop fighting. It's when they work together. So when Jesus says to the eleven, peace be with you, he's offering that erine, that harmony and security that knows that you are cared for. While you and I have been able to return to many of the parts of worship that we cherish, the passing of the peace is still on hold. I didn't have the privilege of serving Stroudsburg prior to the days of pandemic. In the before days when a single voice would say, peace be with you, and we'd respond in chorus and also with you, we'd find ourselves offering peace to our neighbors and teaching ourselves and others about this very peace. In the same way that we teach our children through repetition, we remind ourselves as well. The peace of Christ be with you and also with you. We offer it to our dearest friends and those that we argued with on the way to church. Sometimes those are the people dearest to us. 
We extend peace to those we've yet to meet and those we're hesitant to meet. Our peace of Christ greetings extends to those we've offended and those we've upset. Whether we line up in theological and political and social ways and ask Christ to work through the peace of Christ and change our hearts. The psalm we heard this morning calls us to a position of humility. Psalm 131 is at the center of the Psalms of Ascent, those 15 psalms that were sung every time the pilgrims traveled to Jerusalem, the three times a year, Passover, Shavuot, the Festival of Weeks, and Sukkoth, the Festival of the Booths. We heard it today in the translation from the message, which sounded a lot like the way that you and I might speak. Reverend Eugene Peterson oversaw this translation as a part of his work at Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Bel Air, Maryland. And his goal was to study the Semitic languages so he could faithfully render the translations into a tone his congregation and community would really understand. To hear the call to be as peace-filled as a child contented in the arms of a parent after feeding is to be reminded that peace is not abstract. These are moments that you and I have known. Three times a year, the disciples would have prayed these words to remind themselves that God is God. And peace comes from waiting on the Lord hoping like a small child that God will provide and knowing that peace comes from God who keeps those promises. It's challenging, I won't oversell it, to remember that God will see us through. Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen, the author and doctor of osteopathic medicine, tells a story, one that I love, about her family. Her grandmother, her grandfather's wife, he was a rabbi in Russia, and they were quite poor there. And being the rabbi, there were often people who came into their house. And so her grandmother was used to making things stretch, particularly food. In the country, especially when they were in Russia, her icebox was filled to the brim with food. The kitchen, like many of our houses, was the center of where people gathered. And since the icebox was filled to the brim with food, you have to imagine this in your own mind, if someone happened to open the icebox without warning, it is possible that something might fall out of the icebox. And the most likely thing to fall out of the icebox was an egg piled up on top. And an egg would fall out and break onto the floor. Her grandmother's response to these accidents was always the same. Apparently, she would look at the broken egg with satisfaction and say, ah, 
Today, we have a sponge cake. Early adapters would have ostracized Thomas Watson and IBM, Daryl Zanuck and 20th Century Fox, Bill Gates and Microsoft, but we extend olive branches to personal computing and television and email. Because response is everything. It would have been easy and understandable to scold the one opening the door, to be more cautious. It would have been logical to educate the grandma about not stocking the eggs that way. But the response cultivates shalom. And in this case, apparently a delicious sponge cake. Jesus could have given a theological treatise to explain the resurrection. And instead he ate fish. Isn't that something? So the disciples of yesteryear and today could know that Jesus is alive and brings shalom. The full complexity of us having all of our marbles and knowing what game we're playing. Jesus restores us to wholeness so that we might bring peace to others. My friends, eggs are always breaking. I don't need to tell you that. We always have moments that cause us to wonder and doubt ourselves and others. On the strength of the resurrection, I say this to you. Peace be with you. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.